Uh, recently, we uh, mentioned on the podcast that we're going to, um, uh, as we make our way through the New Testament on Sunday mornings at our fellowship in Calvary Chapel, Franklin, uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, making our way through the New Testament uh, since we started. Actually, as I mentioned uh, previously, we started our uh, church in the book of Acts, and we've been making our way through the New Testament over the last uh, 11 years or so, and uh, or uh, I guess 12 years now, and finally getting to the end of the New Testament. Well, we finished the Gospel of John, or we're going to this coming Sunday. And so that being said, a couple of weeks from that point, we'll go ahead and start our study in the book of Revelation. And um, we, the only books left that we will not have covered at that point are 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But we are going to go ahead and do those on our daily podcast. And so while we're doing the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings, we will also be studying some of John's writings here on the podcast as well. And that does not mean we're setting aside the book of Acts. Uh, we'll continue to make our way through the book of Acts, but we're also going to uh, add now our study in 1st and then later 2nd and 3rd John as well as we kind of round out our study in the New Testament as a fellowship. But for those who've been joining now on our podcast as well, you can always go back and see any and all of those studies over the years that we've, uh, maybe not all the studies, but I know at some point we started uh, recording and live streaming. So many of those studies are available uh, on our YouTube channel here as well. But uh, today we're going to go ahead and start First John. And uh, this is a letter that is rich in theology. It is rich in uh, in its um, in the call to draw close to the Lord, it is a uh, it provides a tremendous basis upon which to tell the difference between those who walk in truth and those who walk in error. There's just so much there, uh, and not the least of which, by the way, uh, is a wonderful call to understand and know that you are in fact a believer if you are in fact a believer, and the assurances that come with that. And so, for example, John will later in the letter famously say that we have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life, present tense. And so this is a, a great, great, great study. First John's always been one of my very favorite books. I know I probably say that about almost every single book we do, but this one really is one of my very favorite studies. And I hope it'll be one of yours too. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I teach this book in our Bible slash theology classes um, uh, at the tutoring school where I teach. And uh, one of the things that I encourage my students to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do, is to read through 1 John once a week. And as we go through the letter and take our time through it, you'll become more and more familiar with it. And um, it's it's not a long book, so I you know, if we were studying Isaiah or something like that, and I said, read Isaiah once a week, well, that, that would be a pretty hefty commitment. Not that it wouldn't be a great idea, but uh, but First John will be a much lesser uh, commitment on your time. You can read First John all the way through in about 20 minutes, really. And, uh, um, and uh, the more you do it, the more it gets to be part of you. You'll notice patterns and consistent things that John uh, says and, and phrases he uses and that kind of thing in his writing. But um, So just an encouragement as we get started. But this morning, let's go ahead and start looking at First John uh, as we begin to make our way through. And as we do, let me start by praying that God would bless our study in this book. Father, we're thankful for First John. Uh, we're thankful for the apostle who uh, wrote these letters as well as the gospel, the book of Revelation. We're so thankful for him, not only because he wrote, but from the perspective that he does write as somebody who walked with Jesus uh, for those three years, somebody who spent time uh, not only in the inner circle, but in the inner circle among the disciples. 
he was among those that just spent so much time with your son. And we just pray that, Father, that uh, as we as we come to understand uh, him and his writing through these things, help us to, insofar as we can, find ourselves drawing closer and closer to the Lord like he did. So we praise you, we bless you, and thank you, and ask you to have your hand upon this time as we continue through this study, like we would ask for all of our uh, uh, studies in the Word. We just pray that, Father, you would just guide us by your Holy Spirit to understand these things more deeply, so that, again, at the end of it all, we might know you all the better. We just bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John the Apostle, let's start there. The Apostle John, uh, one of the uh, one of the earlier uh, called of the disciples, uh, he and his brother James, along with Peter and Andrew, who were uh, all fishermen, uh, knew each other, um, uh, worked together, if you will, you know, uh, fishing on the shores of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and when we say fishing, by the way, it's probably not a bad idea to consider what that means. Uh, what that does not mean is that John, along with his brother and his friends, would just soak a line with a Zebco or some kind of thing. Fishing in that context meant big, heavy nets that you would bring with you out in a boat, out into uh, the deeper waters there. Uh, I assume the deeper waters, but out into the waters on the Sea of Galilee. And they would cast the nets out off the boat and they would pull them back in and in doing so drag fish that were you know in that vicinity that they could catch in the nets. They would drag them in these rope you know, made nets that were heavy when they were wet, heavy when they were dry, but even heavier when they're wet. And they'd pull them on the boats and they'd get the fish out that they could. And they would just repeatedly do this uh, until later in the day when, when fishing basically ended. And so they started early and went, I think it was till roughly around noon or something like that. And after that point, you know, the fish would go deeper and they would not be as easy to catch as the sun of the day went up and all that. I'm not a fisherman. This is just my own understanding of these things. But they were hardworking, which meant that, um, you know, John and his brother, uh, uh, James, and again, Peter and Andrew, and anybody who was involved in this livelihood were not small, scrawny people. These were muscular, tough men that just worked hard out in the sun. Their skin was probably uh, tanned and, and, and tough and hands calloused and beat up. Uh, these were hardworking people. These were not desk jockeys like me. These were people that went out there and just worked really hard. You might almost put them on par with people like construction workers. You know, it's 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 not like the crab fishermen in in Alaska or whatever that cable show is, because um, the waters weren't like that. They weren't treacherously, you know, um, having life threatening situations per se. But they worked hard like that. That's what you can uh, you can imagine. Not just guys sitting on the pier trying to bring in a few trout or something like that. These were people that were making their livelihood, uh, not only providing for their own families, but also um, selling their wares. They would sell fish and they would provide in the marketplace, and so it was, it was a big deal. And so, but that was John, and John, of course, becomes one of those in the Gospels that we see becomes called to be a fisher of men. Well, John, as one of these tough uh, sorts of guys, uh, interestingly, also had a nickname. Uh, we read about it in Mark, where he and his brother James were called Boanerges, or Sons of Thunder. Uh, these, again, were not scrawny little dudes or something. These were tough, rugged guys. And, you know, it's possible that they got that nickname uh, from a particular episode where they were uh, walking through some of the cities, and these cities had rejected Jesus 
And uh, James and John asked the Lord if he wanted them to call down fire from heaven to consume those towns, those people that rejected him. Now, of course, Jesus rebuked that attitude, but gives you a little bit of a window of insight into uh, this one who sometimes we sort of tenderly see as the one leaning his head on Jesus' chest as if he was sort of, you know, just sort of a kind of a lighter sort of a guy or something. No, this is a this is probably a pretty tough guy. And, um, and so I say that because in 1 John, we see John many, many years later. Uh, John is probably somewhere in his 20s and 30s at the time of the ministry of Jesus, which means in roughly around 90 or so AD when he's writing his gospel, the letters in the book of Revelation, you know, it's 60 years later. And so he's now an elderly man. And as we see him uh, writing this letter, on the one hand, uh, you do catch hints of sort of his very direct way of saying things in that. And you can sort of sense some of that toughness in him. But at the same time, it's also he's also very tender as he speaks of his dear children and he speaks of the beloved of God and, and those kinds of things. The word love, for example, appears in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in total something like 28 times uh, in these three letters. And so um, you see a lot of John's personality uh, especially if you're used to the Gospel of John, which of course I would say is required reading for First John. If you're not familiar with the Gospel of John, dive into it, read it, uh, read it again. Let it just um, become a part of you. We just are, again, on the cusp of finishing our uh, year and a half long study in the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. And I think it's a great primer for our understanding of First, Second, Third John and the Revelation in some respects as well. And so um, that said, let me go ahead and start reading uh, this letter. And as we do, we'll just dive in and chew on it and pick it apart a bit and discuss some things. So praise the Lord, we're here. Let's go ahead and dive into 1 John 1.1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, and what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Okay, so verse 1, let's stop here for just a moment. Uh, There is something about verse 1 that echoes a little bit uh, in terms of how John starts his gospel in John 1, um, that which was from the beginning. Well, in John 1, 1, um, you know, you might keep a bookmark in John's gospel because from time to time we'll go back to something he wrote and spoke of earlier. But in John chapter 1, verse 1, of course, uh, if you're familiar with the prologue, it starts the beginning of the gospel of John. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and his life was the light of men, and so on, until we get to verse 14, where it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, and we beheld his glory, uh, a glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, John testified about him, or uh, uh, John the Baptist there, but uh, in, in, in verse 14, John makes the point that we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, this one, the Word from eternity, who became flesh. Notice here again back in 1 John, that which was in the beginning, which we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at, and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. There is a similarity, great similarities between his opening to the gospel and his opening in the first letter. Uh, Again, speaking of the word, okay, uh, the logos, the um, uh, this term that is applied to Jesus as the very expression 
of the very thoughts of God, the very um, uh, the mind of God finding physical expression in the person of Christ. When we talk about Jesus, the Word, this is how he was he's referred to in his pre-incarnate sense. Uh, of course, Jesus is God in the same way that the Father is God and in the same way that this, this Holy Spirit is God, no less divine than the other members of the Trinity, the triune nature of God, yet distinct in who he is. Again, the Word was with God and the Word was God, as John says in John 1.1. Here in 1 John, we see this uh, one who was from the beginning, uh, beyond the vanishing point, uh, wherever God has been in all of eternity, the Word was there, the second person of the Trinity. But notice here something uh, that I, I want to make sure that we don't miss, and that is that there is this, right from the outset, there is this expression, this, this pointing toward the fact that the Word became flesh. Again, in John 1, he speaks about how we beheld his glory. Here in 1 John, he speaks about how we touched him with our hands. This one who in John 1.14, the word who became flesh, John makes the point that we touched him with our hands, we saw him with our eyes, we heard him, we all of this, but we physically touched his body. He was a physical human being. Why make such a big thing out of this? Well, uh, in the first century, uh, uh, and, and philosophically, some of these ideas continue. But in that time, uh, and we see this in the New Testament, there is this body of belief called Gnosticism and those who followed it known as the Gnostics. Now, there are different versions of Gnosticism. And so what I'm going to explain here is uh, at the risk of being simplistic, I'm just bringing a simple element that was part of their belief uh, so that we can get a sense of why John was intentional in speaking about this one whom we touched. Um, the Gnostics, uh, again, forgive me for being somewhat simplistic about this, but the Gnostics, among their beliefs, believed that matter was inherently evil, uh, that it was a fallen thing. And by, by evil or fallen, what I mean is that the creation uh, via emanation from God that ultimately created the universe and and the worlds and all of these things, ultimately is so far removed from the being of God that it is, as we see it around us today, it has fallen. Well, the Gnostics believe that sort of on steroids. It was uh, the world and the matter in it is evil. And so therefore it is really not something that God directly interacts with or would touch, so to speak. And again, at the risk of sounding simplistic, I don't want to spend tons of time on Gnosticism, but when it comes to the person of Christ, the incarnation of the Word who became flesh, this concept would have been abhorrent to the Gnostics because it would, it would mean that the holy, separate, other God, uh, God of, that is other from his creation and everything, would deign to actually interact with flesh. To become an incarnate in flesh would have been something that would have been abhorrent to them. And so therefore, when a Gnostic would read the Gospels or would hear the accounts of Jesus, they would not believe it the way the Christians do. They would imagine that maybe Jesus came into the world in sort of a phantom kind of form, but certainly not divinity dwelling within a body of flesh. But nonetheless, that is the theology of the New Testament, that Jesus did in fact, the eternal word of God did in fact become flesh and dwell 
among us. And it's not just John who writes about this. He writes about it quite a bit. We see it in 1 John. Uh, we see a big thing made of this uh, in John's writing in the gospel with Thomas, where uh, not only with, actually with the disciples in his first appearing uh, in the upper room, uh, in that room where they had hidden themselves, um, he invites them to see the nail prints in his hands and, and such. And Thomas, who's not there, doesn't believe. And he says he won't unless I see him and put my hand in his side, my finger in the nail prints and such. So Jesus comes back a week later and, and invites him to see. In Luke's gospel, when, uh, uh, when it speaks of Jesus appearing to them in the resurrection, um, he invites them to, uh, to, he asks them for some food and he eats in front of them. And he encourages them to examine him. Look, flesh and, you know, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bone like I have. Interesting that he doesn't say blood. He may say something about the glorified, resurrected body. But in any case, he is physically there in the incarnation and in his earthly ministry. He is even physically there, though still with a glorified body nonetheless, but he is physically uh, there after the resurrection as well. The entire gospel story is replete with, with examples of him touching people, Mary grasping his feet. Again, a Gnostic might see that grasping of his feet and Jesus' words, don't grab me, don't, don't, don't cling to me because I've not yet gone to the Father. Uh, they would likely see that as him saying that he couldn't be clung to yet because he was still in that um, sort of non-physical body that they believed he would have, that Gnostics would believe he'd had. So I explain that and just touch on the idea of Gnosticism and, and one of the elements of their beliefs because John is, spe is speaking specifically to that point that no, Gnosticism on this point is completely misguided. Jesus physically walked among men. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 speaks about how he set aside his glory and took on a body of flesh, right? Um, and so this is not just sort of a poetic sounding uh, statement that John is making. He's actually giving us theology about the person of Christ. And, and in doing so, it beckons us to find out why that was so important and hence why we took a minute to talk about that. But John here is not only speaking to that, but also again claiming of himself that he is an eyewitness to these things. Um, it is interesting that when John writes his gospel in chapter 20, he explains uh, why he wrote the gospel and why he included the particular things that he did in that gospel. Because these things were written, uh, again, in the gospel of John. Uh, if I say John, I mean the gospel. When I say 1 John, I'm talking about the letter. I just, just to clear up confusion down the road. Uh, and I'll try and be consistent with that just so I don't mess that up. But in John... Uh, he speaks of how he, the things that were chosen to be included in that gospel were written specifically that it might provoke and elicit belief, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And that is the whole point of why John writes the gospel. Well, the letter to 1 John is, is intended to also have that same impact, that people would come to faith, but also to bring great assurance and instruction to those who are already in the faith as well. And so we'll talk about those things as we continue. Um, in verse 2, in 1 John, he continues and speaking of the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Manifested speaks of being made known to uh, in, in with some attempted clarity. It, was, it, was, it appeared to us. It was made known to us. It was something maybe was not previously 
uh, we might have missed or something, but it was, it was here now made known to us, referring to the, the word of life and the eternal life that comes ultimately through him. John claiming to be that he who testifies of these things. And when he says we, he's speaking of other believers uh, in general. This is the belief of Christians, okay? Um, We don't know that there were others with him personally, like Paul had an entourage that often uh, went on the missionary journeys with him. When Paul was in prison, he had people come to him, Epaphras and Timothy and Silas and other people that would come and, uh, and would bring word to him and take word from him back to the churches and that. We don't know for sure, uh, other than you know, maybe some hints in tradition, but we don't know for sure that John necessarily had the same uh, sort of entourage. We do know that among the patristics or the church fathers, Polycarp was a disciple of the apostle John and learned of him directly. And we have uh, uh, references to Polycarp. We know some of the things that Polycarp himself taught about and those kinds of things from writings um, certainly at least among the church fathers in that, uh, that came uh, in his time and after. Uh, and so uh, it may have been that Polycarp was connected with him during this time as well, and, and he may be part of the we. I don't know. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I'm just, it's a possibility since we know that he was a disciple of John's. Um, now, in verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. And we now begin to see clearly one of the reasons Uh, And we will see throughout the letter, John gives the various reasons why he writes this letter. Uh, Again, verse 3, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, so one of the first reasons John writes these things and testifies of them, (coughs) excuse me, is so that those who are reading his words will have fellowship. Okay, Now, those who will read his words are going to span space and time. Those who are, during the time of John's uh, elderly living on the earth and this letter starting to to make some circulation, those who he may never have met, some he may have met. But those who read this letter are invited now to, uh, to, to recognize that which was made known, the word of life, the eternal life that comes, and to enjoy, enter into, engage in, be part of the fellowship that grows out of our shared belief together. And so that would include you and I as well. Through the centuries, again, through just not only uh, space, those who were physically there at the time, but even throughout time, those who would read this letter, embracing these truths about Christ and the eternal life that comes by way of our belief uh, in these things about Christ, ultimately then calls us to enjoy fellowship among the saints as well. And this is part of John's aim. Uh, And indeed, continuing in verse 3, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? When we enter into Christian fellowship, it's not only our fellowship with one another, but based on our shared belief and faith, trust in Christ, we have entered into fellowship with God himself. Uh, (laughs) You and I have no reason to be a groupie for anybody. You know, we, we, we uh, of all people, have no reason to be impressed with anybody. We might admire. We might think, you know, I mean, if I could meet John, that would be amazing. Um, there are people in the Christian church who are giants in my view, but there's always an element that they're really just like you and me in a lot of respects. But even more than that, all of us as believers have access to the Father, 
to come before his throne of grace to obtain mercy in our time of need, to sit at the feet of the Lord and, and, and as we open the word, as we pray, to, to dwell closely with him. Um, you know, um, like Peter would say, you know, though you have not seen him, yet you know him and love him, right? This idea of having fellowship with God is something that we enjoy as believers. It's not just a rote religion. It's not just that we make sure we study to make sure we get all the rules right and everything. No, there is so much more than just that surface, per, um, not peripheral, but surface level kind of engagement with God. We actually are called to know him and to love him, to have actual living, genuine relationship with the Father and, of course, also with his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, and in verse 4, we see the next reason that John writes the letter. He says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Or some of your English translations would say, so that your joy may be full. Uh, the idea here that our joy as believers might be complete, filled to overflowing, brimming. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that this kind of joy is not always what I experience as a believer. Um, but at least some of the time, you know, and, and hopefully increasingly more of the time. I mean, what does Psalm 1611 speak of? The idea that in his presence is fullness of joy, right? The idea that as we dwell with God and as we enjoy and experience fellowship with God, the natural outworking of that is the joy that comes with it. That fellowship with God, being in his presence, very really, even in this place, in this life right now, not just when we go to heaven, but, uh, but right now, we can experience fellowship with him and in his presence where there is joy. And so John writes the letter that we might come to understand the access that we have and come to experience the joy that comes as a result. And so I'm going to stop right there. And at this pace, we should get through 1 John in about 10 years. So, um, but no rush, right? So no, not really. It won't take 10 years. But, um, but we're going to just take our time and make our way through 1 John, just like we are through the book of Acts, just like we do in our various studies on Sunday mornings at church and Wednesday nights and those kinds of things. So um, our goal, uh, you know, our desire is to just, um, is just to make available lots of opportunities to get into the Word together. And, uh, and so I do appreciate that you watch, that you comment, that you engage, certainly that you're going through the scriptures uh, as well, whether it's, again, our podcast or one of our services at church that we're streaming and those kinds of things. Um, my hope is that all of you have home fellowships where you are growing in your faith alongside of other believers. But insofar as, you know, for those of you who don't have a, a home church or don't have a Bible church nearby, we're thankful that we can come together and go through these things. Um, for those of you who have home fellowships, um, while we pray that you would continue to, to deepen those relationships and grow as you guys go through the word together there, we're thankful that in some way as we spend time together here that the body of Christ is able to encourage each other. So I uh, just, again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you, that you join in and watch. And I pray these studies can, can just uh, be some kind of a blessing to you and encouragement uh, as you grow um, in your own relationship with Christ. So that said, let me pray and uh, we'll just continue to make our way through the word. I will mention, uh, by the way, that um, next week uh, we're actually going to be away for a little bit. Uh, my family and I are going to go away for a little bit uh, during spring break. And so uh, I don't plan on having anything posted during that time. Uh, and so uh, if, if nothing posts between Monday and Friday next week, uh, then, um, um, you know, we didn't go, we didn't disappear. We're just on a family vacation. It's kind of my, 
my time to unplug from a lot of things and for us just as a family to enjoy some time together. So appreciate your prayers on that. We look forward to finishing out this week and catching up after we get back. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the invitation to come and fellowship with you. Thank you for the invitation to come and fellowship with Christ. We thank you that, uh, Father, because of what he accomplished, coming into time and space, taking on a body of flesh, and going to the cross to die for our sins, and rising from the dead, um, because of these things, we can, in fact, have fellowship with you, with your Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, in your presence is fullness of joy. And so uh, we thank you that you, in fact, are our portion. We ask you to just give us a, an ever-deepening desire to enjoy and engage in that fellowship uh, with our beautiful, awe-inspiring, magnificent, beyond-our-finding-out triune uh, God that we worship. And we pray that, Father, we would glorify you as we worship the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you would just continue to draw us ever deeper, further and further within the veil, into the very holy place that you've invited us to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. So we thank you, we praise you and bless you, asking you to just continue to bless our times in your word and help us each to walk with you with desire, intention, and close proximity. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, we always love to hear from you. So if you want to share any comments or thoughts or questions or anything like that, you can do that by leaving comments on our YouTube channel or on my personal website at parsonspad.com. We post these videos there as well. As a matter of fact, they're organized in a way there that is pretty easy to find things based on topics and, and stuff like that. So if you're so inclined and you want to go to that website, again, parsonspad.com, you can go through any of the other studies that we've done as well. If you'd like to send an email rather than a comment, you can email me from there, again, parsonspad.com, or our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, again, we just love to engage. So thanks for watching, and we will catch up with you next time. Uh, it's actually um, Thursday, so we'll have another one up tomorrow, and then uh, we'll be on break for a little bit. We'll come back the following Monday. But, um, but God bless you, and we'll catch up with you next time.